Well, I hope you made a new connection, learned something about somebody that you didn't know before. But I wanted to do this because it was interesting to see how much we got into it. We like talking about what we do, don't we? Uh, if we're proud of our work, it's certainly a part of our identity. It's a part of our personal history. And so we know, and we know so much about it. We could talk about it all day probably for many of us. And uh, that's what I want to focus on today because, you know, in America, we put a lot of importance into our work lives. Uh, I, I discovered as I studied this week that it's not true in other parts of the world that it's actually rude to begin a conversation by asking what you do. But in America, that's usually one of the first questions we ask when we start a conversation with somebody that we don't know. It's kind of a heavy question. But we do it because it helps us begin to shape this image of the person that we've just met and who we want to get to know because inherent in that question are some implicit questions like how much money do you make? Uh, is what you do significant? Or will we have anything in common as we start talking? And I've learned that perhaps... I might need to find a new conversation starter because as I studied this carefully, I realized that if I'm going to be sensitive to all persons, then I need to realize not everybody's in the same situation as I might be. For example, our younger our generations, our people in our 20s and 30s, are finding it much harder and it's taking longer to get established in their careers. Uh, they're saying that the average person now will have four job changes within the first 10 years of their work life after they graduate from college. Four different job changes. Uh, they find that right now in 2014, there was a study done and found that 42 million Americans have are classified what they're called independents or they're freelancers because we're now moving into a gig economy where you do a gig for a while or something else where you cobble together a few jobs in order uh, just to make a living. That's, that represents 30% of our workforce. It is a different world. But you know, it's not just the younger people. We have this baby boob generation that, that's moving into retirement. Many already have. And what we're finding is the baby boom generation finds so much of our value within our work lives that often we want to start another career after we've retired. Hopefully a little less stressful but we like, we like having something to do. The trouble is with our economy as it is right now is there's not enough of those good jobs around for the young or for the older persons. So they're suggesting that we need a new question to ask when we start into a conversation, that instead of asking what do you do, we should ask what keeps you busy, okay? So you can use that. What keeps you busy? It's a good thing because it helps us to see that our identity and our personal worth should not just be in what we do. It should not just be in our work, but we should find it in other places. But for our work today, I'm going to talk about who do you work for? But I want to ask it not just as a point of information with somebody that's brand new, but to ask it by asking what is the attitude we bring into our work lives. It's important to ask because we spend a lot of time at work. Uh, a Gallup poll said that the average number of hours that somebody who works full-time in our country is 46.7 hours a week. 
That's almost a full eight-hour shift added on to that traditional 40 hours a week. As a matter of fact, if you are a salaried position, because employers don't have to pay overtime, it's 49 hours a week. And, and that doesn't include the time that you put in getting ready for work and then driving to and from work. So there's a big chunk of our lives that's spent working. So it's important somehow that that part of our life have God in it in some fashion. And it's an important question because research also shows that when you ask people if they like their job, if they're engaged in their job, only 29% feel satisfied in their job as it is now. 29%. And my guess is while some of that 71% dissatisfaction has to do with work conditions, and sometimes it's because of how we're treated at work, not given enough respect or challenge, my guess is a portion of that 70 plus percent is the attitude we bring into work. You see, somehow we've gotten this idea that work is a curse. It's something we have to do. It's, it's not something that's built into us. And when you look, uh, even Christians when I talk to, when we think of heaven, what do we think of? We, we got this image that we're all just floating around on clouds. Or, or we've got this idea that, that heaven's going to be the favorite thing I like to do and I get to do it all the time in heaven, whether it's fishing or whatever it is. But that's not the picture that's given in the scriptures. If we go to the first two chapters of Genesis, we look at what we call archetype stories where there's a story told, not necessarily intended to be taken literally, but to share deep theological truth. And you find in that second creation story that's in the second chapter of Genesis, it describes God as making human beings from the topsoil of the earth. And then he breathes air into their nostrils and he places them in a planted garden full of beautiful trees with edible fruit. And then Pastor Aaron just read what it said. It says, and then God settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. Do you hear that? Farm it and take care of it. And keep in mind, this is before sin has come into the world. This is before Adam and Eve eat the fruit. So God's creation in the ideal is that we have purpose. We have a job to do. And, and it's also true in that first creation story. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock. So we are given purpose. We have responsibility. We have a job to do from all of creation before sin has entered into the picture. And I would suggest that the pictures given to us is that our work life, even if it's not what we hope it would be, is something that God can redeem. If we bring God into our workplace, then we can find that satisfaction that God desires for us. But it does require for us to order our work life and our personal life. And I think that's especially true in today's world. Uh, some of us have the blessing but also the challenge of working from home. Or we find ourselves taking our work home. How many of you find yourselves answering email at home off your normal work hours? I certainly do. 
Or how many times you find yourself going through your cell phone and checking texts or emails that are work-related when you should be with your family, when you should be relaxing and trying to get your mind off things. We do that too, don't we? Yeah. So our home life and our work life kind of get blurred, and it's a challenge. It's important that we figure out how to build boundaries around that so we can be present where we are, where God calls us to be at that moment and in that time. I've made reference in the past to time in my life, early in my ministry, when I got a little depressed. I was actually in the first year of my ministry at a two-point charge in Montgomery County. Things were going well. The churches were responding. I had a new baby on the way, my first child, and everything was exciting about that. I'd been invited to do some coaching with the local elementary school. I could name so many good things in my life, but for some reason, I became very depressed. I could barely get myself out of bed. It was ridiculous. I had no good reason for it. But I had the good sense to call a fellow pastor who had met in a district event, didn't know him all that well, but he just seemed to kind of have things together. And I called him up and told him what was going on. And he said, well, Jerry, we have a conference counselor. It's in Indianapolis, paid for by our conference askings, there for any pastor, and I recommend that you go down and talk to him. I think you'll find it helpful. It was evident that he had probably done the same himself. So I go down to Indianapolis and meet this um, pastoral counselor, share with him what's going on, and the best way I could come up to explain what my depression felt like was that I was just overwhelmed, that I didn't have any good reasons. So then he said, Jerry, I've got some advice for you, but it's more than advice. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to tell you what it is until you promise me you'll do it. And if you don't do it, then I'll quit seeing you. So I said, okay, I promise. So I'm ready for some heavy, deep, psychoanalytic prescription here. You know what he told me to do? He said, Jerry, you now, from now on, have to take a day off. Jerry, take a day off. And I said, I don't have time to take a day off. And so then he said, and pastoral counselor that he is, he said, well, Jerry, are you smarter than God? I said, well, no. He said, well, what does your Bible say? In, in those creation stories, what does it say? God worked for six days, and then on the seventh day he rested, and that was declared a holy day. Now, are you better than God? Are you smarter than God? Well, no. Okay, then take a day off. And he made me promise that I'd not only take it off and, and try to sneak it in, but I had to tell my congregations what day my day was off, invite them to let me be. I'd, of course, handle emergencies or funerals when they came along occasionally, but otherwise, I had to protect that day. And, you know, he was right. It was the best thing i ever done. I, I found my church work didn't suffer at all. I found I worked more efficiently. I worked smarter. I was more refreshed, so I was more creative. I found I could get up on that day off. Instead of thinking about church stuff and those responsibilities, I could just think about having some fun or working on something around the house with my hands to do something different. And I think it, it truly helped my ministry because now I had fun things to celebrate. I think I was more fun to be around when I took that day off. And so I encourage you to find that Sabbath rest, to create those boundaries that protect your home life, your family life, 
from your work life. And I know that's not easy. When you work 12-hour shifts, when your office is wherever your laptop is, when sometimes you're out of town more than you're at home, but I encourage you to do it. You must do it. Your sanity requires you to do it. Now, I want to take a look at that second passage that Pastor Aaron read from Colossians. And I think it's an interesting analogy for us. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you still may be uncomfortable. How can Paul, the Apostle Paul, be basically condoning slavery? But remember, this is ancient times. And also remember that the slavery that's in the Bible is different from our American experience. We've talked about this before, but, but keep in mind, most slaves in biblical times came about because of the expansion of the Roman Empire and the conquering of new lands. It was also true that sometimes skilled workers often did those jobs as accountants and even doctors as slaves. It was also true that many people were given the opportunity to earn their way out of their slavery or they were granted that freedom when their master died. But it's an interesting thing to stop and think about what Paul says to slaves. And it might be an interesting parallel to your life. I don't know what your work life is like, but sometimes do you feel like a slave? Sometimes because of the dissatisfaction or lack of respect that you get, you just feel you've got a tough job to do. Maybe the working conditions aren't great. Maybe you're in one of those jobs that, that used to be okay, but... It's changed hands, and now you find yourself doing stuff that doesn't mean what it used to mean to you. Or maybe you're just at that station in life where you just don't have that many options, and so you feel enslaved. So ask yourself, what difference does it make if we take the advice that Paul was giving to slaves? And you see what he's telling them here. He's telling them, uh, don't, don't just try to please your master when they're looking but decide that instead of working for them, you are working for God to do everything you can to do the best to your ability of what you are capable of and do it for the glory of God. You see, it's an interesting phenomenon that we have in that early church because as that new Christian movement came across the Roman Empire, you'd have whole households sometimes brought to faith. And so here you have a master and a slave both come to belief in Jesus Christ at the same time. And so they'd gather in their house churches. And in that house church, for that short time, they were equals. They were both disciples of Christ. There was this mutual respect required. Masters were even told to love their slaves as if God has loved you. And the slaves are told to work as if you're working for God. And what an interesting world that would be. So bring that spirit into your job. Ask yourself, who do you work for? Are you working for God? Or are you working to please that customer? Are you working to please that boss? Do you find yourself like a slave who's just trying to please when they're looking, but deep down you sense that resentment? What happens if you change your attitude and start to work for the glory of God, the God who's made this magnificent universe, the God whose craftsmanship of the human body is so amazing. And if we're made in God's image, then we work with the same excellence and care that God does. So I encourage you to start asking, who do you work for? And then it doesn't matter 
what your job title is. It doesn't matter what your salary is. It doesn't matter what that job review says. You just give it the best you've got with everything you've got, and God will do good things, not just for you, but for all of his world. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for these images that challenge us. We pray for those who struggle in their work life right now. Help them find that satisfaction that they desire and need so they can come home and be that person fully present. Help us to see what we do as a part of your grander purpose. And that everything has got importance. And bless us as we prepare for the sacrament of Holy Communion. Help us know that you are ready to receive and honor our lives as we bring them to you to be blessed and to be redeemed. Through Christ we do pray. Amen.